Blog Talk Radio. living. I just wanted to start off by saying this is live, very much live, and I got on with five seconds left. So just (laughs) just really quickly, I I want to tell uh, Dylan, who is listening in, that um, he is on mute, but we will get to him right after um, about, you know, about like half an hour of us chit-chatting. So to just hang in there and sorry I didn't get to say a proper good morning to you but we are excited to get to you and thank you for bearing with me on that um blog talk I think is getting more popular by the second and hard to get on to well I couldn't have come at a uh a more stressful morning and it's life just showing you that you know what you got to ride the wave you know there's sometimes no matter how hard you try Things just don't work out and you can either, you know, be like, oh, like, I can't believe we can't get on air and we have five seconds left and our guest is on and we can't log into our own radio show. And then miraculously we got on. Like as the song is playing, I'm texting my daughter, are you on or not? Because I was set up to be the host or the co-host. So I didn't know which way I was going. Um, But just another perfect example of how it's an imperfect life, but a wonderful life, right? Mhm, mhm. So that was that was pretty intense, but we made it on. As she said, right when the song was playing. So um, this is this is our show, Bed Red into Bam, and we were we are gonna get to Dylan um, after we talk about some fun stuff that I have planned for you and that my mom has planned for you today. And um, I just wanted to kick it off, kind of going back to the VMAs that happened this past Sunday. Um, the VMAs have been you know, a really big deal in my lifetime. I know, you know, in your lifetime as well, you know, there's been some very, very memorable moments on that stage um, at Radio City Music Hall. And I just kind of wanted to recap, instead of a playlist, just a traditional playlist that we normally have, I really wanted to do the top 10 VMA performances of all time. And those songs, how to make a playlist out of those songs. Um, So... Uh, starting with number 10, I have, and they're all great, so it was really hard for me to number them. I literally numbered them as we were rehearsing earlier today because I just needed to be, like, pressured to do it because I, I couldn't decide. Um, but I put Eminem at number, at number 10 with the real Slim Shady into the way I am in 2000. Um, he had the, I don't know if you guys remember, but they were, like, all so outside awesome. a, a bunch of imitators, like the Slim Shady imitators, and then he had them, like, come through all doors of the Radio City Music Hall and, like, flood the stage. And it was just really cool. And, Very um, cool. That's number 10 from the year 2000. And then number 9, 1990, um, I was only two years old at the time, um, Madonna's Vogue, where she had everybody in, like, the Marie Antoinette garb. And it was, it was 
really cool, and, and the costume design and set design were, were really awesome. Um, and it was also, you know, Madonna doing what she does best. You know, you know, Vogue was a traditionally, um, you know, a dance that was done in more gay clubs and was kind of the big thing to do. And, you know, she was bringing it into the more, um, you know, heterosexual community as well, just by being kind of iconic and bringing it up um, in, in kind of the awesome way that she does everything. So that's well, and even with that, she like changed her look. She went from Miss, you know, bras and panties on stage to all of a sudden this, you know, like the theater that she brought to it, you know, is right, also right. so Madonna, right? Right. Sorry. <laughs> that was really cool. No, don't be sorry. Please um, let me, you know, interject, especially at the, the ones that are slightly, you know, I was too young to really see firsthand or know firsthand and Madonna being one of them. You'll see her mm-hmm. again on this list. Um, number eight, P. Diddy featuring Sting, Faith Evans, and 112, I'll Be Missing You. This was in 1997. It was only about six months after um, we lost Biggie. And this was a tribute to him. And as you guys may or may not know, um, Diddy was his right-hand man. Faith Evans was his widow. Um, and Sting, you know, wrote the original version, so he came and did the hook. Um, and 112 was part of the Bad Boy family, uh, Diddy's family and Biggie's family. And they're, they're like a, you know, kind of a boy band on the similar wavelength of, of boys to men. Um, so it was really, really a special moment. There were candles everywhere. It was really sad, but also a really beautiful tribute to Biggie with the people that he cared about most on stage. Um, I believe his mom even came up and everything. It was, it was super touching. So that, and you know, obviously being from the East coast, I grew up on Biggie and I just put him in number eight. And as you could tell, my playlist was really hard. If he's at number eight, I mean, that means there's seven performances that blew me away even more than that. Um, Speaking of number seven, Justin Timberlake in 2013 did a medley of, of a lot of his songs. Um, I think, I believe he started out with suit and tie, um, and then kind of went into a lot of other Justin songs. Um, and for like five minutes and, and sync reunited on stage, which was really cool. It was the first time we had seen all five of them together on stage in a long time. So that definitely was huge for me. And I'm just a huge Justin fan. So he definitely had to be on the list. Um, but he's had so many memorable performances, but this one, Definitely took the prize for me. And then number six, um, back when they were together, Chris Brown and Rihanna in 2007 did like a whole medley. And it was mainly actually Chris Brown's performance. Rihanna just came out to do like a little bit of umbrella. But we were really captured by his dance moves. And uh, he had danced to Billie Jean, his songs, Wall to Wall and Kiss Kiss. Um, It was really great. I mean, obviously there's so much news about Chris Brown going on today because he was arrested yesterday. Um, so, you know, there's a lot going on with all that. But um, it shows you what I know. I, I don't have television. Chris Brown was arrested yesterday. Oh, huge story. Yeah, they, they were, it was filmed. Um, cops were all surrounding his house for like probably 12 hours yesterday. Um, what did he do? And or supposedly? We, we don't really know. They, they, um, oh. they're, they're, they're just saying, um, uh, assault with a firearm for right now. Um, oh, so we're seeing, okay. We're seeing what's going on. Uh, okay. But guns, de- guns definitely involved. Um, and then number five, Beyonce Love on Top in 2011. 
Um, this was one of my favorite performances because not only is that song one of my favorite songs of hers that she's ever written, um, but this was also when at the end of it she unbuttoned her jacket and kind of rubbed her belly and winked and announced that basically was announcing that her and Jay-Z were expecting their first child, which is pretty huge. Um, so that's that. And then number four is one of my favorite performances of all time, for sure. Brittany Amosley for you in 2001 with the albino mm-hmm. python around her neck. Um, I don't know if you guys heard that, but albino python was around her neck. Um, and then... Um, Number three, I was not alive for this one, but it's so epic and famous. I've probably seen it like six times. Um, so this is in 1984, Madonna's Like a Virgin, where she was wearing the wedding dress that had the poofy top. Um, and she walked out of a huge wedding cake down, like the, basically made them into steps. And this became such an iconic thing that they actually recreated it in 2003 with Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. And that's actually where the Britney Spears and Madonna epic kiss happened right Mm -hmm. after that. Um, And Mm -hmm. then number two, I have, this is a really hard one between, for me, between one and two. Um, But I had to give the number one spot to who I gave it to. Um, So number two is the uh, Britney Spears, when she started out with Satisfaction, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, into Oops, I Did It Again in 2000, where she ended up revealing the nude bikini that was sparkles all over her body. And this is really where you saw the abs for the first time. This is really where you noticed that Britney Spears had gone from this little girl in a Catholic school girl outfit and like a jumper into like a grown ass woman. And I think that was really like, I mean, she was on the floor. I mean, it was, it was pretty epic mind blowing event that everybody was talking about and is still talking about. And then in 1995, MJ did a 15 minute medley um, with Beat It, Billie Jean, Black or White, The Way You Make Me Feel, and, and so much more. He had Slash on guitar, just shredding. Um, and that actually set the standard for today's video, the, the today's um, Video Vanguard Award, um, which actually Rihanna received this year. And um, that's, that's my playlist for today. Love it. Yeah, no, I, a lot of those performances are just so iconic. I mean, I... I, I was a little upset because this VMA is, I was really um, excited to see Britney. And um, I think her performance was, I think she looked great. I really do. I think she really looked great. But as far as um, you know, what I was expecting and what was delivered, they were on two totally different wavelengths. I was still waiting at the end, like, is something going to come out? And am, am I going to be like, something crazy going to happen and, and nothing really happened um, at all. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was just really like her barely dance. I mean, just, just all the, the things it, it was just weird. Um, but she, like I said, she did look great and you could definitely tell that, that she did have a little bit of work done, um, which of course, but I think the highlight for me of the VMAs was Tiana Taylor Um Mom, I don't know if you saw, but but Kanye, no. first off, Kanye, in my opinion, should just never speak. That The fact that they let him have the stage for so long um, and just talk is ridiculous to me. Um, that's my own personal opinion, um, but I just don't think Kanye should speak ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he did get to share with us his new video for Fader, um, and wow. It's basically just this woman, Tayana Taylor, who has probably the most 
perfect body I've ever seen. And it's just her in like a workout room dance. She choreographed a dance to this song. And it was so moving for a lot of people. And I think in a time where people are looking for those strong women and in particular strong black women, she definitely killed it. I mean, she, she was a very strong, and you could just tell it was a strong performance. It, it, it was just the confidence was beaming out of her. And that video is now the talk of, of this whole week has just been Tayana Taylor and how impressive she was. And I just, I just want to say that was definitely my favorite part of the VMAs this year. Um, Beyonce showed up with a lot of family and she also um, showed up with um, Trayvon Martin, Eric, Eric Garner, Mike Brown and Oscar Grant's family. Now those are the people that have, uh, you know, had a lot of, those are the, 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 the victims of uh, the, the cop crime um, that had been shot for basically no reason. And she brought their moms um, with her to, as her guest to the VMAs. And it was pretty epic because she had Blue Ivy, her daughter, and just a row of moms. And it was just pretty powerful. Um, and if you guys didn't see, Beyonce had probably about a 15, 20 minute medley of her stuff from Lemonade and Lemonade won tons of awards. Um, and it was just, I mean, she's definitely creating a movement. I know we talked about this when we watched the Grammys and, um, I know we've just been talking about this throughout the year, but, um, Beyonce is. And, and even in the Super Bowl, Beyonce is 100% creating a movement and it's, you know, formation started it out and, uh, you know, Lemonade is, is really, uh, you know, becoming a huge thing and she blew us away then. Um, so I just want to give it up to her and congratulate her on our awards. Rihanna had like weird performances throughout the entire night. Um, and I just want to <laughs> get everybody's feedback on this because... It was like, it was all about her dancing. And I don't, when I think of Chris Brown, I think of dancing. When I think of Neo, I think of dancing. When I think of, you know, Beyonce, I think she's got a booty dance, you know, but I don't think of Rihanna as a dancer. I really, I really didn't. I didn't know that, you know, that was her thing. I think Britney Spears, I think entertainer, dancer, you know what I mean? Like there's just certain people well, even, that. Um... Jennifer Lopez, dancer. Jennifer Lopez. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you don't, you don't think of Rihanna really. Yeah. And Rihanna was barely singing, did medleys of all her songs. And to me, Rihanna has been around 10 years and she's been topping the charts. Don't get me wrong. And and I don't mean to disrespect her because I am a true Rihanna fan. Um, But I just, it just was a little off for me. It just was a little off for me. Um, You know, so, so that, I, I don't know. The outfits were off. The fact that she wasn't singing was off. And um, I liked a little bit. I liked some of the mashups and, and things that she was doing. But for the most part, I thought it was a fail. And and um, mom, I know I know you probably didn't get to watch the VMAs, but uh, Drake at the end presents her with this award. And I, I don't know. It was uh, it was the Vanguard Award, which I just explained was was created mm-hmm. by MJ's performance. But he gave her this beautiful speech, and she almost looked like 
I don't know. I, I don't know if they're dating. I thought this. I thought this dude was gonna propose. I thought Drake was gonna get down on one knee and propose to her. That's what it sounded like. He was like, I've been in love with her since I was 22. Blah blah blah. And then she just kind of like brushed him off and gave him like side cheek for the kiss and like it was a very weird interaction. Um, hmm. So I, I want to get your feedback on that. I know a lot of people are talking about that. Um, Michael Phelps came out, uh, obviously the no- number one gold medals of all time in the Olympics. So that was pretty huge. Um, you know, just seeing him on the, on the VMA stage. Um, I was not a fan of Nicki Minaj and Ariana Grande's performance. I thought it was absolutely ridiculous and absurd. Um, like I said, uh, you know, the, the video for fade was absolutely incredible for, Kanye, but not down for Kanye to speak at all. Um, and and really just Beyonce kind of dominated uh, that night. And, you know, I think she has been dominating for a while. And, you know, I'm proud of her. I just, I just want to know your guys' opinion on all the outfit changes. Because literally, she'd win an award and come up in a new outfit. She'd do a, a performance, come out in a new outfit. I mean, there probably are like six outfits from that night. So I think that's hilarious and, and good for her uh, stylist for killing it every time. And that's my recap of the VMA. Awesome. Well, yeah, I don't, I'm the no television, no cable person. So I get to miss all that, but um, it all sounds amazing. And um, it really just blows me away that you mentioned that Britney Spears has had work. I will always think of Britney Spears as oops, I did it again. Right. Um, right. Oh yeah. And, you know, in her lips and face, you can definitely see, I mean, her body's on point again, but who knows, you know, in, you know, how, how that all happened, but she's definitely gotten a lot of work. That's well, my hope is sure. the conversation between her ears is on point because we know how much she struggled with that. And, um, well, interesting. I always love award shows, especially the VMAs because they're singing and dancing and, um, I think they're the, all, one of the better ones. So and, and for you guys that do love Britney and wished her performance was the performance you've been waiting for since 2001 when she came out with <laughs> Slave for You, um, I don't know if you guys got to catch it, but you can always look on YouTube. Her performance at 2016 Billboard Awards was everything Britney that you could ever imagine. It was about 10 minutes long, huge performance, and um, she absolutely killed it. Um, again, she's never singing. Don't ever expect her to sing. I don't know why you would want her to sing. Her voice is not good. It's about her entertaining. It's about her pop icon status, and that's what it's about. So take it for what it is. Take it for entertainment. And, you know, I don't want to hear, oh, she was lip syncing. So so were the good singers. So was Beyonce, you know, on, on Sunday. So just realize the live performance, and they're going to do it how they want to do it. And at this day and age, when they're dancing that much and giving so much, it's going to be hard to dance and sing at the same time. That's just, that's just my two cents. Well, thank you not, for that. And not that I condone lip syncing either, but. Right. But that's another podcast. That's another, it's another oh, radio yeah. show. Exactly. Um, well, that's awesome. And uh, wow. Two last week Olympics. I love all this stuff. So thank you for that. Um, so in the world of getting conscious, there's a few things I just want to sort of mention because I'm bursting with pride. Um, and one of them is, is that this week I was uh, received an invitation to give a TEDx in October. Ooh. And I'm super, I know, how about that? I'm not going to lie. I, I just lost my mind and screamed and danced around and I'm completely honored. 
and uh, it will be a TEDx Women Talk in uh, Wilmington, Delaware, which is where Nikki was raised and grew up. Um, so, and where I left uh, when I was disabled to um, move to California to kind of save myself. So I get to go back, and uh, the talk is about cultural collision, and it's on October 27th. So anyone that's listening, I hope you'll consider joining and you can go to TEDx Wilmington um, to find out more. I'm super excited about that. And on Saturday, just three days away, uh, my Taking It to the Streets tour officially launches, uh, which is a year-long tour. If you don't know about it, you can find out more at paleobosslady.com and hit the Taking It to the Streets tab. But it's a year-long tour where I'm offering to the community basically all of my services uh, free. I'm living with the community and uh, hoping to create a grassroots movement so that we can all tap our miracle life. And um, I just wanted to share all that because that's super, super exciting. And what's going to happen is this month we're hoping to have a few guest hosts. So Nikki will be sharing the podcast with with a few people that are going to be helping me out while I'm on the road. So please make sure you stay tuned for that. And, um, when let's just move right on now to getting conscious. And, you know, I, I went back and forth because it's get conscious. And then our feature of the week is, Oh no, they didn't. And they could both be interchanged, but I'm going to say the get conscious that I want to talk about is hopefully I'm not going to pronounce his name wrong. Um, is Colin, Colin Kaepernick. 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 Yeah. Which I love him. I've loved him from a visual standpoint um, for a long time. I think he's a handsome young fella. Um, but You know, for those that don't know, he decided he's the quarterback for the 49ers that he no longer wanted to stand for the national anthem because um, he does not agree with um, the state of where we are in relationship to the anthem, what the anthem was written. There's a lot. There's a whole it's it's a mess of issues. Um, I don't really want to, again, um, I'm just trying to raise awareness, not trying to get people to see things the way I see them. So I thought that the best thing we could do is just offer some information about the history of the national anthem and how it entered into sports. Um, basically, it started around the 19th century, and it's specifically with baseball games, which if you're an American, I mean, baseball is kind of like apple pie American. It's a very American thing. Um, and it happened during World War One, around 19 in the 1940s, and it was to uh, establish a tradition of unity of uh, America of awareness, and um, that's where it started. And it grew across all sports. Um, but the only country that does this is the United States. Um, I I do want to know, I do want to know, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I do want to know, you know, what, if you, if you think it's really disrespectful or not. I believe that we all have our own, I believe that we all have the right to do as we see fit. And if this is how he believes he needs to do something to take a stance, he's not hurting anyone. As long as we're not hurting anyone you know, then, then, you know, then, then, then you're okay by me. Um, if you're doing something to hurt somebody or if your actions are going to hurt someone, you know, um, people that get morally offended, you know, you just got to pay attention to yourself. You know, Michael Jackson said it best. Just look at the man in the mirror because most mm-hmm. of the time we all have stuff we need to work on. Right. right. And, you know, I, and I can't disagree with the fact that what he's taking a stand about is trying to create awareness about, 
you know, I mean, we still have a long way to go. I, you know, just saw on social media the other day, a family that like last week or whatever bought a house that had a homeowners association and in the rules of the homeowners association, it says this community is for Caucasians only. And I'm just like, really, we're in 2016 and this is happening. And there's, you know, 150 people that live in this community and they've all blindly agreed to this or not blind. Like, like, yeah, I think we need somebody like Colin and we need people like Beyonce to do what they're doing because something has to change. And, you know, again, if you're not hurting anyone and if the anthem, you know, doesn't resonate with you for a lot of reasons, then you have a right. Um, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance, I feel weird about in a lot of ways, personally. So, you know, it's, it's no different than, you know, prayer in church. It shouldn't be, we shouldn't be forced to do something just because in, you know, the 19th century, someone said we should. You know, I'm a big believer in Foucault, and Foucault's always like, question your status quo. So he's questioning his status quo and saying, I disagree. And right. I think he's doing it because he knows that he can garner attention and hopefully create a conversation. And he's, he's do what he set out to do, he's doing. Absolutely. Oh, conversation. That's really what it's all about. Same thing with Beyonce. For her to have her daughter there and all the moms that lost their child. I mean, I have goosebumps right now just talking about that. Yeah. You know? So, um, yeah. So that's what I, you know, and you know, so I just want to throw out there, you know, I, I, I don't know what you think, Um no, that, that's, a, I mean, I, I think it's, I think not only was it, um, I think it's, I, I agree with him on all points and I'm surprised mm-hmm. he was the first to do it. And I don't think he'll be the last. I know there's the Eagle that has come out saying um, that he will not be standing for, for uh, the, the Star Spangled Banner as well. Um, and, you know, at, at first, my first inkling was like, that's disrespectful because I'm conformed and I, I, you know, I've, we, we've just become so accustomed to that being a respect thing. But at the end of the mm-hmm. day, uh, when, when you have things that are bigger than you, bigger than this country and, and things that you really want to make a stand for and be a leader. And I think he's, he's doing that. And not only that, it's, you know, it's, it's right before it's right at the end of preseason right now. It's about to take off into NFL season. It's, it's giving them great publicity as well. Not that I think he's doing it for that, but I'm saying on all fronts, I think this was a good, uh, thing and it's bringing awareness. People are talking about it, which I think was the whole point. That's, that's right. what media is, right. is supposed to do. So um, I think he established what he wants to establish, and hopefully um, people start realizing that that, that that time this country did have a change. And like you said, there is a, a very long way to go. And it, and I think um, this is really probably the first time in my lifetime this this year of 2016. Am I seeing how far behind we? We really are. And I didn't expect to be where we are today, today. Right. Well, I'm super excited because after our little break, we're actually going to meet someone who I'll share briefly um, how I got to meet him. As many of you know, I'm a big fan of Bulletproof and I sometimes rush to bed to wake up and have my Bulletproof coffee. Um, I, I use using food as medicine. I go in and out of what we call ketosis, which is, um, uh, a way of eating that switches your body from a sugar burning machine to a fat burning machine. It decreases inflammation and its healing powers are amazing. So uh, I've been doing a lot of fasting and just a lot of biohacking with my body. And when I lived in Santa Monica, one of my rituals was I would go to the Bulletproof Cafe and treat myself to delicious food and drink. And I would always see this young man on a bike all the time. He would come in 
he would leave. He would, you clearly went to the beach because he'd come back looking like he'd just come from the beach, come back in again. And every time I was at the Bulletproof Cafe, I would see him. So that meant to me that this is someone who doesn't just love Bulletproof Coffee, but probably lives in a ketogenic world, struck up conversation, and immediately fell in love. Like, he's stuck with me now whether he likes it or not. Because as, you know, life takes us where we're supposed to go. He's a Jersey boy. I mean, how could I not love that, right? He's a Jersey boy who loves the water, who was a sponsored athlete and basically is a walking miracle and has been through hell and back. And I can't wait to have you guys all hear from him directly. So that's what's going to happen after this break, right? Absolutely. Um, before we get to this break, I really just, this is the first, um, this is the actually the last time for a, a long time where my mom and I are going to be um, recording live from the same state, and I just want a lot of you out there that that have listened um, to understand that this taking the streets, taking it to the streets tour is going to be larger than life. And and really, if you guys are listening and you love us, you're going to love her even more in person. And to hear her speak and to just be in her presence is something that um, can't really be described. And as you can tell with her TED talk and, and a lot of stuff's really happening for my mom. So. Please go on to paleobosslady.com. Check out the dates. Write her an email. If, if you're somebody who, who really needs her help or somebody that really wants to meet her, um, this is the whole point of her tour is to come to you and to meet you. And um, please, you know, just just follow her on her journey. And we'll be touching base with her. As she said, we do have some guests, um, guests coming on to co-host with me. But at the same time, we will be checking in with my mom as much as possible. And she still will be on for the majority of the time. But I just wanted to tell you how how proud I am of you and how excited I am for you. And um, I can't wait to talk to Dylan after this break. I just wanted to share that with everybody. Okay, well, I'm just going to cry now. Thank you. I'm sorry to, to make you cry, honey. I just, okay. I, I need people to understand and the people that are your fans <gasps> and the people that do need you understand how, how huge this is. And, and I couldn't be more proud of you. I really Thank couldn't. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Before we get to Dylan, I just wanted my mom to announce uh, who who the Taking the Streets Tour is sponsored by. The Taking It to the Streets Tour, I am so honored to have Nativa and Natural Habitats. Natural Habitats also has a big campaign going on right now called Palm Done Right um, for many of us that we may be aware or not aware of how the – the farming of red palm oil destroys a lot of our natural habitats. And, and um, for those of you that are avid listeners, we did have palm done right on our podcast in the very beginning. So yeah, um, check so you out. Could, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so check out. Yeah. So you could find out more, but uh, natural habitats and Nativa are committed to palm being done right by only working with organic, sustainable farming practices and actually empowering the community with tools to be able to 
to, to do this successfully, multi-cropping and so much more. Um, and I'm really honored to have them support the tour. They have paid for all my gas and everything to be able to allow me to drive um, to meet all you guys. So um, thank you so much, Nativa, Natural Habitats, and Palm Done Right. Um, and you can check out nativa.com and you can even go to Palm Done Right um, and you can find them on social media and, and a website. So, um, no, without further ado, as my daughter always says, I can't wait to bring Dylan on. Um, and I think he's on with us right now and, uh, has been patiently waiting as I think he's in his car and has squeezed us in between his busy life. So hello, my friend, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Very well. Very well. (laughs) And isn't it funny? You're, you know, isn't it funny? People are always like, how do you know this person? I'm like, we just like met in the strangest way, but we were supposed to meet is how I feel. I agree. You know, it's, it's so funny. Uh, the more I go there, the more I meet people like you. It's, I think that it's amazing that we have shops like Bulletproof because it's kind of like a, it's like a, a pokey stop for, you know, people that are, you know, about our lifestyle. And it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if, if, you know, there's so many words that I think of to describe you because you're, um, well, you're a miracle. Um, you're an athlete. You are an artist. Um, you are, um, you're all about community. I mean, I see how much you love your East Coast community. You have a huge West Coast community. Um, you're an advocate. But, I mean, what is it that has driven you to be all of these things? Like, at the top, you've been a top-sponsored athlete, being a miracle. Like, is, people always ask me, like, what is it that drives you? And I'm always like, I was born this way, and that's why I went back to school to learn how to translate it to communicate it to other people do you have one thing that seems to drive you and everything that you represent you know um when i think about it i I don't know if i can pinpoint it um i just think naturally i was born kind of with an extreme type a personality so even as a little kid you know when i when i got an xbox i played online and you know i had to be number one so i think I think the main thing is I have a very competitive nature, but at the same time, um, like a major crisis happened and I had to turn that competitive uh, nature into something positive, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's just, I think it's just in my DNA. I just, that's kind Mm -hmm. of who I am since I was a little kid. And I think that the, the events that happened in life, I think you can, you know, you can be, this way in a negative way, or you can choose to be, you know, very um, type A in a, in a positive way and do, do a lot of good. I think, though, my, my main struggle is since, you know, I'm so passionate about everything that it's, you know, when you take things, you know, all the way, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of bumpy roads, but, it, but yeah. it's good. So tell us about your, um, just give us a brief couple minutes about your, your journey from, athlete to having a rare neurological brain disorder to um, struggling with addiction to being an inspirational hero miracle? (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, So basically when I was 13, 14, 15, um, I was a bodyboarder. If anyone don't know what that is, it's basically surfing and laying down with spins. Um, I competed. um, I was I had my own pro model coming out for a board. I was sponsored. I was doing the uh, U.S. Uh, amateur tour, 
Mm-hmm. And in, 2004, in 2014, I was the um, USA amateur champion, which especially from being, being from New Jersey and having to wear a 5 mil wetsuit in the winter, um, mm-hmm. I was competing against all Hawaiians and Californians. So it was a very, you know, it was almost like a miracle back then uh, mm-hmm. because people from New Jersey just aren't as good as, as Hawaiians and Californians. But it kind of just goes down to, you know, my personality. Even yep. if there was the smallest wave possible and it was snowing out, if there was, if it was rideable, I was out there. You know, so I think mm-hmm. that just my persistency and ambition kind of, you know, I think you can overcome any sort of obstacle if you just work harder than the other people. So that's kind of the mindset I had. Um, but then in 2015, I started having really weird stroke-like symptoms. You know, half my body, I was having this neurological pain. Um, I was uh, getting chronic migraines. Uh. I was having difficulty sleeping. And then I would always crack my neck, and I would feel this really weird popping sensation. Uh. And... Um, it was honestly, I just knew something intuitively was wrong. It was like, it was basically being this like little, little surfer kid that had so much light in him. And I could, I felt like I was, my body was dying, like at a rapid pace. So I started seeing doctors and this is, this is right after I was the, uh, the answer champion. So it's like literally within, within a year of, of winning that, um, I finished second place the year after, then right after that, I, uh, I started seeing doctors, you know, the first doctors I went to, they didn't really know what was going on. They kind of were just like, you're young and healthy, you're fine. Then I saw a neurologist, like, we don't know, it might be a herniated disc. And then basically I kind of just climbed the charge for a specialist. Eventually I saw a really good neurosurgeon, and he said I was diagnosed with uh, Chiari malformation type 2. So basically uh, what that is is, the back of my brain, my cerebellum protrudes into my spinal cord and it was blocking the, the nerve flow from going throughout my back and my body. So what happened was um, I got a condition called syringomyelia, which is basically, it's basically like a cyst. So it's like a mm-hmm. bubble um, that forms on your spine from the lack of uh, nerve flow and what that was doing is basically that was what was causing all the nerve damage. Oh. And, then the, and then the Chieri was causing the migraine. So the fact that like the back of my head mm-hmm. um, was going into my spine, that was causing my migraine symptoms. And then it caused like basically like a cyst. I mean, you can call it a tumor or whatever you would want to call it, you know, a bubble um, in my spine. And that was causing all the, uh, the nerve pain. Um, wow. And basically, this ha- this happened when I was 15 because uh, I had my growth spurt, and the back of my head didn't fully develop. Oh. So that's why that's why it happened when I was 15, and, and I was symptom free my whole life before that. And you know, I was you know I played sports in high school. You know, I was a surfer, and I was fine um, until I had my growth spurt. Interesting wow. that that's so- what caused it crazy right it's less yeah. less than i think like 0.1 of like the population so it's pretty pretty rare condition has it killed people you know i don't know if it's killed people but so incapacitated i incapacitated them i don't think it's it's killed people 
in the sense that it's lowered their lifespan. Okay. Um, because before, I think, the 1990s, so basically the surgery I had, they were moved a part of my skull to relieve the pressure. So then what happened wow. was they relieved, they relieved the pressure from the back of my head, and then the nerve flow can go up and down. And what ended up happening was the cyst was removed because basically the nerve flow kind of flowed through that area and flooded it out, if that makes sense. Oh, so the body almost um, healed itself by being by by the flow being re- reconstructed. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So so when they were structurally, they removed a part of like a, I think like a, I don't know how much, but less than an inch of my skull, mm-hmm. and then they removed a part of my vertebrae, and it basically allowed my body to um, you know function at a at a higher capacity to the way it's supposed to. Wow. If that makes sense. And you're still like super athletic. Like it really hasn't slowed you down or am I, or or, or is that only my lens? I mean, you, you, you still surf, you do everything, don't you? Yeah. I mean, I've been slowing it down. I'm like, you know, it was kind of crazy. I've always loved basketball. The year after my surgery, I, um, I tried out, like I had this whole thing that I was going to make the basketball team at my high school, like literally after being bedridden. (laughs) Um, and I I was on like the summer league team. I I eventually didn't make it, but like, I would say, I would say now, you know, I ride my bike a lot. I do soul cycle, you know, I lift weights. I, I still surf, but you know, I'm trying to, I I, I know I need to cut it back because with what I have, it's it's actually pretty serious. So my whole, the whole last like six or seven years, has just it's kind of been just trying to figure out the routine that works if that makes sense. So I'm just it trying to does. figure out what I can and can't do. It does, and I I struggle with that. You know, as my body evolves, you know, I'm much older than you. I'm in my 50s, and you know, I used to go to the gym hard. I actually wrote a blog about it. I used to do things, and my routine never really changed. And then I woke up, and I was like, my workout routine is really toxic. Like I, it's at a level that is really not supporting my body. It it has evolved, you know. So I have spent the last like 24 months really consciously developing a routine, you know, a workout routine that works for me. So I think it is kind of a conscious effort when you're biohacking, especially, which I identify as a biohacker and I believe you do as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's more of what I do now is creating the same response as exercise just in different ways that are less stressful, you know, on my joints yep. and, and bones and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I do uh, cryotherapy, basically every day really five days a week yeah on uh in hollywood on masianica so uh, basically what cryotherapy is if anyone doesn't know you lock yourself you don't lock yourself but you go in a chamber for three minutes at negative 250 degrees Uh and if your body basically thinks it's freezing to death you know your primal instinct is i'm dying so what what happens is is um it starts releasing all these anti-inflammatory um hormones and enzymes from all your organs and it's kind of like the same thing that happens from exercise because basically what what you're doing is creating a slight stress response which therefore is releasing the healthy things but mm-hmm. it's done in a way where you know i'm not you know hurting my neck straining this or you know depleting my adrenals so right i've been doing that and then also i've been doing a water fasting so I yeah i know i saw your fast. Ju- yeah. What were you going to say? Sorry. 
I saw that you do that. See, Dr. Walls does both of these things as well. These are these are big and, and Dave Oster. I mean, these are big biohacking tools. I'm fasting, but I'm not at the water fast. Did you just go well, right to water, water fasting? Fa- he just drinks water what for what, three days? Tell her your water well, fast stuff. Um, so hold on one second, I'm just kind of losing this. So no um so my water fast, so I guess first, you know, I, I don't watch TV really. All I really, my entertainment is listening to podcasts. And I was listening to a Tim Ferriss one, and they talked about water fasting. I, I read the benefits. And then me and my, uh, my roommate one day were just like, all right, you know, let's, let's do this. And kind of just kind of goes along with my personality. My first time ever doing a water fast, me and my friend said, okay, let's do seven days. Great. Right. And that's uh oh, let me move away from this person. And that's only that's only water. Um yeah. so so me and my friend, we did it and we made it six days. But basically what it what it does and what the research shows is it basically you know, rebuilds your immune system. It um it, it puts you in a really, really deep level of ketosis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your mil- your your blood millimolars reach like five which if you have bulletproof coffee it's only at like 0.5 so you you kind of get this massive brain buzz and, and the way it intuitively felt for me was i feel like when your body's not digesting it, it, it has more of a capacity to heal whatever's going yep. on mm-hmm. so it's like if it's not digesting it's healing so those six days man it was just the first two days were rough but then by day three i, I felt amazing like, honestly, day three, day four, day five weren't hard. You know, I, I, I worked, I was driving around, and it, it kind of, for me, was a, it was a huge, like, wake-up call with my relationship with food and kind of what everyone thinks we need to do or have to do um, to live. So, so now it's I so true. Day one. Wow. No, the fasting, I get that about the relationship with food. I just was at my functional medicine doctor two days ago for my yearly physical. And I said to her, the whole thing with fasting is totally different than what I'm thinking. Like now I think my body doesn't need food to survive as much as I thought it did. Actually allowing my body to have a break from all the food is giving me more healing than eating all the food. So I'm, you know, I fast 10 hours a day and I've been doing full day fast one day a week, almost this whole year. That has been my, my commitment. And I want to graduate to the water fast because I think I really need to do that, you know? Um, yeah. But I don't know if it'll be in this year or next year, but it's, it's coming for sure. Well, whenever you want to do it, let me know. I'll, I'll do it with you. It's easier to do when you, when you have people to be like, yo, I want to eat really bad. It's like, don't, it, yeah. whenever I do it, I try to get a partner because, you know, when six o'clock, six o'clock hits on the first or second day, and, you know, you want to, if I want to go to Bulletproof Cafe or I want to make something, you know, you have someone to say, I want to eat. And they'll say, don't do it. And then, you know, you support the other person. Well, we're so, all about community. So I love you for saying yeah. that. I know Nikki had a bunch of stuff she sort of wanted to maybe talk to you about. We didn't get a chance to really talk. If you want to, um, maybe that's what you and Nikki might talk about. Because I know she was really intrigued because she's had a lot of uh, personal experience with friends that are dealing with addiction, especially as a result of injury which is, I believe, mm-hmm. how yours came about. Do you want, can you mm-hmm. touch on that just a little bit? Sure. Um, so 
I had the surgery. Um, I was bedridden for, for three to four months. You know, I basically had to be babysat. Like, um, my dad had to make food. Everyone had to bring me things, and I was basically laying in bed. Um, couldn't walk. I remember just to, you know, just to walk to the door was extremely painful. Um, and so when I first got um, back from the hospital, they had me on uh, benzodiazepine. So Xanax or Klonopin. So I was taking that. Um, I was smoking a lot of marijuana, which I think CBD is really good. But I think at the time, um, my intentions were I was probably, it was helping me eat. And there was a lot of medicinal benefits of it. But also there's the factor of me trying to escape. So Mm -hmm. I was smoking a lot of weed. It was helping me physically, but I also think I was using it in the wrong way emotionally. Um, right. And it went from that to, uh, um, it went from that to, you know, I was living in New Jersey. I had this whole, you know, life kind of hand out and it kind of went from just smoking and, and doing what was prescribed to kind of just like a screw it mentality where I kind of just said, you know, like they told me I can't, compete professionally anymore so I kind of just said you know screw it whatever and then it mm-hmm. went from that to to I, I basically became really good at I don't know if I want to say manipulating but I'll say it manipulating doctors so since I had brain surgery I could get prescribed whatever I wanted mm-hmm. um, so then you know I was like and, and I was in pain but looking back at it there was other options so I was prescribed Roxycontin got addicted to that um, so basically, eventually, we'll just fast forward, you know, I'm doing Xanax, Roxycontin, I'm smoking a lot of marijuana, and then, you know, I start partying on top of it, so doing all party drugs and drinking, and um, it basically, looking, you know, in hindsight, it was just me, you know, just trying to escape the reality that I uh, I can't compete anymore, because, you know, when you're a little kid and you're I, I, I was blowing up and I was doing so many cool things. And it's like from going from that to, you know, you can't do this as a career. I didn't, the only thing I needed to do, the only thing I needed to do was, was numb myself. Um, right. So I did that. I did that for about till 2014, you know, it was mm-hmm. a lot, like I said, a lot of party drugs on top of painkillers on top of alcohol. Um, and, you know, I was just doing whatever I could not to feel the reality of my life. Yep. So, self-medicating. Self-medicating. And it was really funny, though, too, because I intuitively knew that even since I was a little kid, that, you know, eating a healthy lifestyle um, or having a healthy lifestyle with food, meditation, what helps so was I was kind of this funny drug addict because I was gluten-free. I was, like, low-carb. And I was eating healthy, but then also I was taking all these drugs on top of it. So I think what kind of happened was, um, it, it, looking back at it, it was kind of like a transition. Like I was doing all, and then I started, um, I guess, looking at it now, I I got rid of what wasn't working and, and kind of transitioned to full, full just, you know, no medication, just, you know, kind of heal myself. Mm-hmm. Right. But um. To do that, I, I 
basically what ended up happening was I was living in, in um, West Hollywood um, in an apartment, and I basically just I was withdrawing, and I went to a psychosis, and basically I went to the hospital, and I checked into rehab, mm-hmm. and I stayed there for I had really good insurance, which was like a miracle in itself because I wasn't insured for uh, three years, and my dad got a, a a new job. I knew I was struggling, so he just happened to get the best insurance the same month I checked in to rehab. Wow. It, it was kind of crazy. So I checked in there and I stayed there for, for two years. And, you know, thank, thank God those places exist because, you know, now I, I have this amazing life. And if I told myself, you know, like four or five years ago that what I'm doing now, like if I showed myself what I was doing, I probably wouldn't believe it. Bravo, friend! Isn't it amazing uh-huh. though? Look at that's that commitment to to change and to self discover is huge. Two years, that's awesome. I'm really proud of you. Thank you. And uh, I think it's, I think if, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I no, was just gonna. Go. I was gonna say, <laughs> I just I just commend you for being the person to put yourself um, in helps you know in in the care of others because I think. Um, you know, I have, uh, you know, family and friends, especially, you know, being from the Philadelphia area, you're close by in New Jersey. I think that whole, like, tri-state area has, has struggled with these problems, and it does stem from the first place being, you know, the doctor's office first, and then kind of working your way around the manipulating your doctors, and then getting severe depression from some of the drugs, so then you're going to maybe a psychiatrist, like, a lot of my friends and they're that's where they're getting their benzos as well and and I think it takes a really strong person to know that they have a problem and to check themselves in versus you know going the other route where there's you know having everybody worry about you to the point where it turns into an intervention and then we're you know it's totally different not have you had a lot of self-awareness yeah I would say you know I've had close friends pass away from it um Mm. Especially in New Jersey, a lot of my friends are, not a lot, but, you know, there's still a handful of people from my high school that are in it. And mm-hmm. the thing about it is once, you, once you're in the addiction, it's, it, you feel so hopeless that, like, you can't see, you can't see how good it can be because you're just stuck on the opposite end. So it's a climb, it's like you're, you're at rock bottom and to climb all the way, even just getting to baseline's hard. So it's like these people, and luckily for me, you know, my, my father, um, he's not an alcoholic, but he's been sober for 20 years. My, my sister has 10 years. Um, she was a drug addict. So luckily, like back to community and support, I, I had a family that they didn't shame me. They didn't, you know, look at me as this crazy little kid that I had nothing but, you know, unconditional support. So, so I think, great. you know, that that's part of it and you know now what they teach you and um about being sober at the places you kind of have to be that family for you know kids that don't have parents or a lot of people you know that you know their parents are both alcoholics they're in abusive relationships and they don't have the same you know level of care so i think it's like my responsibility as a sober person to do my best to to help these people because that's like I'm really all they have you know if they, if they don't have support I think that's if you don't have support it's, it's almost impossible to do it on your own yep 
That's why I'm taking it to the streets. You know, I feel like there's a lot of people out there and obviously the response of how many people have invited me, everyone just needs a friend. We all need a friend, right? We all need just someone to, you know, help us along the way. And I'm, you know, I'm so grateful that you have been able to make these experiences benefit you and that you're willing to share those tools with other people. And that's really the foundation of what this podcast is all about is trying to inspire people to live consciously and, you know, create their own journey, which usually just leading by example, a lot of times is all you need to do. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, I, I love what you're doing. It's amazing. Thank you. I love um, it. And yeah, no, Nikki's had how many friends this year that you've lost to addiction? Uh, probably about six just this year. And, you know, in oh the past, God. yeah, in the past six years, a, a lot. It's, you know, it's, you know, and, and it's, definitely led to, uh, I, I want to say, you know, you mentioned, you know, rock cassettes, which, which, which are mostly what my friends, I feel like, you know, they start on Percocet and then go to Roxy's then to Oxy. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're doing heroin eventually and, and get a bad batch or with the wrong people or whatever it is. And it definitely leads to just saying, you know what, I've manipulated enough doctors and now I'm kind of, in harm's way. Cause I think that's, that's now a lot of my friends are getting like cops showing up at their door because they are like trafficking through, through doctors. Like, I don't even know what yeah. that's called shop shopping or whatever it is. Um, and then it leads to heroin cause they just can't do it anymore. And they try Suboxone, but then they end up getting that type of addiction to Suboxone as well. It's just, it's a never ending cycle without yeah. help. No, it's, Exactly. It's it's really it's crazy um, because, like you said, it all starts with the doctors. I think the you know awareness and you know I think the main thing for me is too is like not treating these people like criminals. And I think that's right. you know part of the issue is you know our you know our society or whatever you want to call it. We kind of you know this um, we kind of created this epidemic. And then, you know, and then we shame the same people that we kind of created. So right, it's right. Like, like you said, it's never-ending cycle. And I think um, a, a curi- uh, interesting thing that I, I heard was when, when people, um, I noticed that sometimes when people pass away, it happens a lot, like in a short amount of time. And, and what I hear is that what will happen is someone will send, like you said, a really strong batch of heroin and it'll be extremely strong. And then, like, you know, like in New Jersey, I'll hear of, like, 10 people dying in a week because they all yep. have the same batch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I don't want to end really on that. We have, like, we have 28 seconds. No, no, this no. is so enlightening oh. having you on. We didn't even get a chance to open it live. But if people want to ask any questions, they can email us, and we will respond. Nikki, do you want to give a quick shout-out to where they can do that? Sure. So paleobosslady.com and also nikki-bovet.com. And Dylan, do you have like an Instagram account or something that people can get in touch with you in case they've been in a similar situation or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. So my Instagram handle is uh, Druzy. It's D-R-U-Z-Y. My last name is Y. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. I had fun. I like listening to about the VMAs. I didn't watch them, so thanks for the update. <laughs> of yeah, course. Like, thanks much, my friend. <laughs> Keep okay. rocking Stay it. Strong. Right. Thank you. Talk to you guys soon. All right. Ciao, ciao, everybody. Bye. Bye.